Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe. I was in a Moscow airport when Boomer, my son, was born. I was trying, I was trying to get home. It was like Did the you get back? Time. Yeah, like a day later. And he was looking at yeah. me like, who the fuck's, who's fuck's this new guy? Yeah, like, yeah. I, you know? When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. <laughs> Well, well, good to have you. I'm glad you, you joined Tim and I. It's awesome. Um, you know, um, followed your career uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, fourth round pick overall back in 04. Uh, kid from British Columbia. Me, I love British Columbia. I know you're Maple Ridge, right? Cam Neely, yeah. bunch of guys from there, right? Yeah, what, what, what's in the water out there that so many guys played in the NHL? Larry Walker, uh, Major League Baseball. What's in the water out there? How, how come all the good athletes? I, I don't know. Um, I mean, growing up pretty like working class um, place to, to live. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. It's funny how it worked out. But, you know, like you said, Larry Walker, Brennan Morrison, Cam Neely, um, Brandon Yip. Uh, yeah. Played some games in the NHL. Um, Greg, Brandon, Greg the Moore, Irish guy, the Irish, the guy, Irish guy, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah, man, it, it's uh, I don't know what it is, but um, good people, and, and even right now, I think they have a great um, minor hockey program that they've invested a lot into, and a lot of great volunteers. So um, I'm not sure something something going on out there. So you're living now in the Okanagan Valley, are you, uh, Kelowna? Yeah, yeah, we're up in Kelowna now, which is how far is that from where you grew up? How far is that from where you grew up? It's like four and a half, four hours, depending on the roads this time of year. So not not too far. You know, it's one of those things like far enough away, but but close enough. Yeah, I went out there years ago. We went out with the Canadians, right? Uh, Softball team, and we traveled all the way up to what's the top of the valley? What's uh, Vernon? Yeah, way we went way up. We stopped in all these little towns and played softball. It was a Molson softball tour with the uh, Montreal Canadiens. But it, I'd never been out there, and I just loved it. I, the Okanagan Valley was gorgeous all the way up, and uh, just a good time. But so anyway, let's get to it here. You drafted by the the, the Canes back in '04, yeah. and um, man, your first year winning the Stanley Cup, like. Did, you had to pinch yourself for one, but I know in my case, it took seven years in the league. And when we got there, I thought we'd be back pretty quick because I was so confident. How about you? What was it like that first cup being your first year in the league? That'd be crazy. Yeah, it was, um, it was crazy. It, it almost looking back, it, I didn't appreciate it. Um, just because it was so, everything was so new, and I, you know what it's like. Your first year in the NHL, you're just happy to be there, and you're 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 really the challenge is just getting in the lineup. So for me, it was just like, hey, how can I get get in the lineup and and learn from this great group of veterans um, that we had? And I, I was fortunate enough that we did. We had so many experienced um, guys that had played such a, you know, they'd had really long careers. And Rod Brindamore, Glenn Wesley, Brett Hedekin, Doug Waite, Mark Recchi, um, 
the list kind of goes, goes on and on. And so like to be able to come up in that, uh, with that group of, of leaders was so, you know, looking back was super impactful on how, uh, I went about the rest of my career, but, uh, to cap that off with a Stanley cup and watch what it meant to so many of those, those older guys that had chased that Stanley cup their entire career, uh, and see the emotion, um, you know, and having conversations with them throughout that process of, of like, Hey, don't, you know, they were telling me not to take it for granted and this doesn't happen very often, but um, <laughs> it's tough to do when you're, you know, when you're 19 or 20 years old and, and it's your first year in the league. So um, I, I definitely enjoyed every moment and I stayed in the moment, but uh, looking back, I think, um, you know, like you said, you think you're going to be back the next year and, and we didn't even make the playoffs the next year. So uh, then reality hits home that this is uh, this is one of the toughest things to, to do in sports. What'd you do with the cup that first that first time you won it? Oh man, uh, every everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the mistake you make the first time is is that you try to do absolutely everything with it. Uh, I almost like equate it to like a, a wedding day where you're just like your everyone's commanding your attention the the entire time. But we took it. I took it to the kids' hospital. I took it back to my hometown in, in Maple Ridge, um, Cam Neely Arena, where I grew up playing. Uh, you know, shared it with the, the community there, uh, and then just had um, had a big party with with all my family and friends and the people that helped me get to to where uh, to the NHL and to to have that opportunity. So you're there, uh, Carolina, a little over three years. You head to Chicago. Was that first trade? For you, a, a shock, or did you see it coming, and and what happened there? Yeah, that was a, a massive shock for me. I think just because I was, I was only, I mean, really the three young guys in that group were me, Eric Stahl, and Cam Ward. Um, so I think there's some. I was a little naive to the fact that I thought I was going to be around for for a while, um, being a younger guy. That uh, you know. Um, you know, they, they needed maybe for the future, but they, they saw otherwise and um, thought they could get a, a, a good player back into a Morucci. So I, I was completely caught off guard. I just still remember sitting in the meal room, having pregame meal. And um, I think Brian Tatum was our, our, uh, our team service guy and came over and tapped me on the shoulder and it was like Lavi. Lavi wants to see you. My my heart got sick. Oh, you like, had oh. Lavi let. That's right. Yeah, yeah. How did you so, like him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked Lavi. I thought you know, in terms of like how the first coach that I had, um, I thought he was super detailed. Loved the way he played, up tempo, like in your face. Um, I'm not sure how much he liked me as a player at that that stage. Um, and you know, when when you're when you're a younger player with that group, um, we had a lot, of, a lot of older guys that, um, you know, I think Lavi had a lot of respect for. Um, so I had a challenge like earning his trust, I would say at that, at that time, um, which probably was a big part of, of me um, getting, getting shipped out. But I, I told him before, what, actually when I got tracked, when I, as I got traded, I still remember that conversation with him of, of just saying, Hey, like, thank, like, thank you for, um, everything he taught me because I learned a, a you know a, a ton from his him as a coach and um, just how he motivated people the details of the game uh, the level and the pace that we played at which I think was a big part of the reason that we 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 won was um, you know the practice habits that we had we just practiced at a, a different pace 
And I remember even, you know, even Ray Whitney saying he, he had a front row seat with the growing up in Edmonton and watching the Oilers practice. His dad was a, um, the, the practice goalie there. Um, and he kept saying the way we practice reminded his dad of, of, of how, uh, the Oilers practiced in the eighties, just the pace and the intensity that they practice with. So I've kind of taken that with me wherever I've gone since then. Um, and, and Labby really set the, the tone for that as a coach, which, which I'll always remember. I had him in world championships. I didn't like him. Yeah. No, that's all I. No, he was he was he was fine. He just, I don't think he liked me, but he was. Uh, like you said, he was a motivator though. He was like he had good pregame speeches like right before you went out. Yeah, but I mean, are you surprised he's still coaching, or is that not surprising in the league? No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's a little like it's a little bit of our league, right? In terms of you've had success. Um, you know, usually gives you another opportunity and he's, he's earned that. I think everywhere he's gone, he's had an impact on, on that group. Um, so no, I, I'm not surprised. Um, like I said, he, he that year um, pushed a lot of the right buttons and we had a, a group that coming out of the lockout that a lot of, a lot of guys maybe that um, exceeded expectations. And I think that had a lot to do with, with, with Lavi's ability to motivate um, and find the right buttons to, to push, which is, um, you know, I think is a massive part of coaching, especially nowadays. Well, it, it's awesome, like, just hearing you say this, because here's the deal. When you retire and you're gone, you look back, it's easy to say those things, right? Yeah. But you, after getting traded the first time and going in and talking to coach and, you know, says a lot about you going in and, and saying, you know, you appreciate what you taught me and you move on. Most guys would say, fuck off. See you later. I don't want to see that guy. I'm out the fucking door. So, no, really, it's a, it, it's easy to say now. Not so easy when it happens, you know, and I I that I think it's cool, you know. Yeah. I, I know the first time I went, I wanted to fucking choke the coach <laughs> because it, it, it was between, you know, it, it was a beef with him. And, I, I you know, I had some issues with him. I had a a teammate, Bob Gainey, tell me, listen, Knuckles, you know, you don't always have to like the coach, but you have to respect them. And that didn't cut the mustard with me because if I didn't get the respect from the coach, he, he wasn't fucking getting it from me. And I know it might sound a little selfish, but I've always been that way. If it's, someone's not going to respect me, you ain't getting it back. And I had a tough time. That's why when you said that, it kind of, um, I, I liked it. I like to hear that. Um, yeah. So you you go to Chicago um, in, in that first trade. It's always, I remember leaving Montreal. It was, you know, I'm going to New York. It was weird coming in a whole new thing. I, I actually couldn't believe I was somewhere else. But, you know, how was that, that first trade, going in, meeting new guys, having to get a new place to live, all that shit going on? You're still single at the time, no? Yeah, yeah. Um, my my, I was dating my wife, but she was she was in school. Um, she didn't know actually, you were dating. She didn't know you were dating. <laughs> or she, you didn't. Uh, she <laughs> might have known at that time. Yeah, she was. Uh, but it was funny because she she was an optometrist, so she went. She had to choose between actually Boston and Chicago for the two um, places she could go to optometry school. Um, so I was in Carolina. Boston was maybe a little closer. Um, definitely the, the school was in a safer place in, in Boston than where it was in the South side of Chicago. But, um, so she chooses Boston. And then I think like three months later I got traded to Chicago. So, 
um, like you said, you think you're going to be in one place for a long time. I bought a house in Carolina and um, you're setting up shop. Um, you build relationships in that city and then all of a sudden, you know, it's flipped on a dime and uh, you're sitting in the airport watching Ron Francis pick up Tuomo Rutu at the gate that you're <laughs> they're shipping yeah, you out So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, the lucky Look thing at that for me, skinny little fucker. He ain't going to do what I did. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's you know there there's motivating factors in that, and I I mean I would say you get to use every situation to your advantage, and and I definitely use that as motivation to prove people wrong, and uh, whether that was the coaching staff that didn't want to play me in Carolina, or maybe didn't think that I I could you know be of value long term. Um, so you go to Chicago and uh, really thought of it as a, a new challenge, and with a young group um, had this young kid named Patrick Kane and another young kid named Jonathan Tabes. Uh, and then a lot of like actually Western hockey league guys that I, and Western league guys that I grew up with. So uh, in terms of like meeting people and, and feeling really comfortable, like I, 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 I knew Brent Seabrook since the, you know, I was 10 years old. I think we played together. So uh, I moved in with him and, and Jonathan Tabes right off the hop. He was kind enough to let me stay at his his humble abode in in, uh, in Chicago there and had some connections with uh, Duncan Keith. So I got to like knew him, um, you know, so like instantly there was already connections with a younger group. And I think Kevin Adams was, was there already too. Um, he had been in Carolina. So there, there was instant connection and, and, and then there's the opportunity, right? Like get thrown on a line right away with, with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves is pretty, pretty fun yeah. to, to get excited yeah. about that. And, and, yeah. and really it was like the ideal time to get traded to Chicago. They had just put the team back on TV. There was excitement around the team because of these two young superstars. Um, and, and going, I, I had no clue what Chicago was like as a city. Um, so, you know, you're, you show up downtown, you're pretty, pretty pleasantly surprised at what they got going on for, for a young 20 year old kid to be able to spend his time in downtown Chicago. And, and um, it was really just the start of a, an amazing chapter of the, the next three years of my career where I got to move into more of a leadership role, right? You come from a team where you're the youngest player on the team. And then all of a sudden, like, okay, you have maybe some people looking at you as a Stanley cup champion as someone that can help this younger um, kids in this group get to that next level, which uh, I always enjoyed. Um, that challenge of, of leading by example and, and being that leader. So uh, it, it really was the kind of the ideal situation for me to step into. Who was in, who you, coach was Dennis, you had Dennis Savard? Savvy. Yeah. Savvy <laughs> smoking darts in his, in his office all yeah. the time, blowing it into the air purifier. So um, and Savvy, Savvy was great, man. He was just like, when you're a young player in the league and, um, he did a lot for the confidence of, of that group and, you know, Taves and Kane and even Seabrook and Keith. And uh, he had such a, a fun attitude going to the rink every day. And um, I still remember he's, he's, you know, go to his office and he's didn't, I don't think he knew a whole lot about me, but he's like, do you, uh, you, you play on the power play? I'm like, Oh yeah, I play on the power play. You know, <laughs> yeah, sure. you, pen you, you penalty kill. Oh yeah. I penalty kill. Okay, cool. Like, can you so, skate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who do you yeah. want to play oh, with? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure, I'll take those two. Yeah. So, so um, it was good. How long was Savvy your coach? Was it one year? But he was, yeah. So was he was a coach. Um, 
two years, two years, two years, two years. a year and a half, essentially. So like he was the whole next year, he was the coach. Um, or maybe he wasn't actually. Did he get no, I, he, he was. I think Quenville came in. When did Q come? That's the what I'm getting. I had Q for two years. No, oh, Q came the, the year before. So I think I had Savvy for like half a year and then the first um, maybe oh, yeah. five, ten games of the next year. Um, so not not a crazy amount of time. Um, but with that group was ready for, for Joel when he came in. Um, I think it, he was when ready. When you say ready for him, ready – because listen – we we've had guys on here that just absolutely love him. We had Andrew Shaw, right? We yeah. uh, uh, few different guys that talked about him, and I played against this guy, and he was he was a hot ass defenseman, honest player, tough guy, and I watched him as a coach. His bench demeanor, how he was, I can only imagine playing for a guy like that. He must have been unbelievable to play for, right? God he was, he yeah he was fantastic and he he was I, I say the we were ready for him because we had you had savvy who was maybe more like instilled confidence by letting you know Kaner and Taser have a little longer leash and and as a group we had a longer leash and so if you want to win hockey games that leash has to be shortened and every everyone needs to be held accountable from the top down so. Having having Joel as a coach to be able to hold everyone accountable, starting with with Johnny and Kaner, um, like that was that was huge for setting the tone for that next you know decade with that group. Um, like he you know, held he was, Big Buff accountable. He held Big Buff accountable. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Big Buff <laughs> was scratched a couple times, right? Um, so it, it, and it, but there's a certain level of respect you had for Joel that like, Hey, like no one's getting away with any shit. Right. This is how you, if you want to win hockey games, this is the things we need to do. And, um, you know, Kaner still had his, you know, he need, you need to do this. You need to play on, on this side of the puck. And then, Hey, once you get the puck, have at it, do your thing. But um, there was, there was structure and certain details that Joel added to our group that has stuck with all, all of us for the rest of our careers. And I think, you know, you ask every one of us, those are things that became staples within our, our game um, and within that team's game for, for them to win, you know, three Stanley cups. So uh, he was, he was awesome with, even with me, like I, I enjoyed playing with him um, or for, sorry, for him uh, in terms of bench management within the game, making adjustments, line matches yeah. i don't think there's anybody else in the game that does uh does that at the level that he does and he would just make micro adjustments within series within games um to match certain people up um you know i mean we played one of the best lines i ever played on was me marty havlat and dave boland um it seems like a weird mix of of players but like we were we we checked the other team's top lines and we were on the ice every time the Sedins jumped the board we were on the ice um and and there was something about that matchup that we just we had a right mix of like defensiveness grip and offense with with marty that it just i don't know how how joel came up with that but it was it was the right mix and he always found ways to to find those those certain lines and those certain mixes within um people's game that meshed really well and led to success what makes him different than lavi laviolette you know, it's funny, like, I, I mean, I've had some, like, Hall of Fame coaches, right? I've had Barry Trotz, I've had Lavi, I've had Claude Q, Noel. Had Claude, Claude Noel, Noel Claude, uh, Paul, Maurice. <laughs> um, and, 
I would say they, they all have one really strong aspect to their coaching. Right. So Labby was like I, the motivator to me, like the motivator, the pace, like that's what he brought to, to the group that we had. Um, Trotsy was super detailed, like every aspect of the game, you knew what you were doing. You didn't have to think about it because he, he was detailed in, in every aspect of, of that game. And then, like I said, Q was like in game bench management best I've ever seen. Um, so they all brought a little bit of a different expertise. Paul Maurice, the best motivator I've, I've ever like what it being in the room with him for his pregame speech, you wanted to run, run through the wall um, for him. And I, I still remember, I think Jay Harrison, um, he had him in Carolina, he had him in Toronto and he had him in uh, Winnipeg. And he said, I've never heard him say the same speech twice, wow. which is, uh, it's impressive, right? Yeah, you, is, you know, uh, you play with Lab, Labby for three years and, you start hearing kind of the same, oh. the same messaging Keenan, Keenan and the same would tell, speeches. Keenan and... would have the same speech within like the first <laughs> five games. He would tell like how he coached Gretzky or so, you know, it'd be like, all right, we're in, we're in Russia right now. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so they, I mean, no different than players, right? They, the players excel in certain areas of, of their game. I think coaches are, are very similar. They have, they have certain things that they excel at. Um, and uh, those great coaches are, are, are no different. And, and, um, that Stanley Cup in Chicago. What um, yeah, I, I remember. And, and listen, Tay uh, Tay's being the captain, right? They made him captain, right? And yeah. I remember. I think it was the year before the Cup. You were playing against uh, the Red Wings in the playoffs, and he snapped. And I, I, he ended up getting a misconduct or something, an extra penalty. And <laughs> I remember him being a captain. Someone went over him and talk to him and calm them down. Do you remember that game? So I, I was gone. Was that was in, actually, I think that might have been their second one or third. Um, that was Seabrook that came over there and settled yeah, them down. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, I – both teams, at it, even Carolina and Chicago, like it, people always look at one person as like, hey, who's the leader of this group? Um, and I think with both those teams, we had a, a bunch of different leaders. Like that's what made those yeah. groups strong. We had a bunch of leaders. So in Chicago, it was, you know, Marion Hosa, Patrick Sharp, yeah. Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, um, John, you know, Johnny, uh, like, those, like there's five people right there that you're like, okay, like that's your, your core group of, of leaders in, in this room. And, you know, in Carolina, it was Rod Brindamore, Glenn Wesley, Brett Hedekin, Kevin Adams, Ray Whitney, um, Mark yeah. Recchi. So you have like in those moments, you know, we're all human, right? We all have emotions. So like yeah. that, that perfect example of Johnny maybe losing um, control of his emotions there, you have another buddy, another leader there to like pull the group back in. And I think that's, as I've gotten older and moved along my career, you need more than one, you need a group of people that are able to kind of yeah. pull you back to like, Hey, what, what is, what's important in this moment or, calm the group down and do those different things. And, and we definitely had that, that in Chicago. Yeah. I had to do that in Atlanta. Like how many times laddie to you? I had to calm you down. All, all no. the time. Yeah. <laughs> Usually centered around. You didn't even know but... my name. He called me Jim all year. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Yeah. yeah I, it's funny. I remember that because I saw him as a young captain. Right. And, 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 he was losing it and then he got calmed down. And, you know, from that point, it seemed to me that point moving forward, he really, he really blossomed into that, you know, 
prototypical captain, leader, guy who does it on the ice and guys look up to, look to to, to get yeah. things done. And, and I mean, like he's stuck. He was, you know, 19 years old when he got the captaincy. Crazy. So I think it's pretty, you know, you're looking around there and it's like, I don't think any 19 year old's ready to handle that responsibility uh, of, of leading a group of men. However, there was definitely some traits in Johnny that was like, he, like when he spoke in the room, his presence, like there's a certain presence with, with him and how he speaks and how he holds himself that um, people listen. And he definitely had that. He had the work ethic. He loved to compete and get better. Um, but you're still a 19 year old kid and there's a lot of life, life to learn about. And there's, there's a lot of growing up to do. Right. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm 30, 38 and I'm still learning things and every day. So it's you like, won, that you won the cup when you were 20 and you were like, nah, big deal. <laughs> we're good. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, ah, was big, good. We're good. I was playing uh, with house money, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's crazy so. at 19. That is. And like you just said, I'm 41 and I'm learning, man. I'm, I don't know anything, but yeah. Continue. You, 40, you look great for forty-one, man. I know, I know. I never like seen, I never seen a mirror level. I didn't like. I never <laughs> seen a mirror I didn't like. So that second cup comes pretty quickly for you after you know five years yep. in the league. You win one the first year comes uh, in twenty ten with that group. Uh, how did it differ for you? Did you you said the first one you didn't really appreciate it as much? Uh, uh, I guess enjoy it in a in a in a manner. I guess that um, you probably would if you were older. How was it? How did it differ that second one? Yeah, I think I, I definitely savored a lot of those moments. Um, so, and I after the first one, I think I looking back, I was like, oh, like what are the moments that I really like enjoyed? And it was like the time in the room with the guys where it was just us after the game. And we got to look look back about hey all the all the adversity and all of the challenges that we face over the year um, to to accomplish the goal that we set out to like that 15 20 minutes that we just had together to kind of sit there and have a beer together and um, enjoy that moment was 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 something I you know I look back on and I'm like man that was a powerful moment and something that I I, uh, I really remember. So going into Chicago, I think it was like savoring those moments. And luckily it was on the road. And one of the advantages to, to being on the road when you win a Stanley Cup is it's just your group. So we had like that time in the room, obviously family and friends are there and then they take off to go fly back. And then we have more time together. And then we have the whole plane ride to like enjoy each other. And um, it was a really unique group because we had, you know, most of our team was 20 to 20 seven years old, 25 years old. So we were really, really tight off the ice. Uh, we hung out all the time. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of us like lived together and, you know, did so much um, bonding uh, all, all over, um, you know, at the rink and off the ice that it was just, it was just fun to, to enjoy that time together. And then you, you land in Chicago and they shut the airport down for you and um, you're off to the races and enjoying that town. And, we really wanted to share that with the city. So we ended up taking, you know, the cup around to pretty much just bar after bar. And we'd walk in the whole place would go from empty to like jam packed. And then, you know, we popped into another place. And, and so uh, it was fun to share that moment with the city. Cause I mean, it had been almost 50 years since they had had, had the opportunity to, to celebrate a Stanley cup. I was out there. 
I was out in Wrigleyville just fucking being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even want you guys to win, but I was like, ah. I was just like <laughs> no, it was nuts. It was nuts, man. It was nuts. Yeah. 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 It was cool. Yeah. The parade, like down Michigan Ave, like, you know, you talk about a difference of, of Stanley Cups and the parade in Raleigh, North Carolina to the parade and coming up uh, the magnificent mile with you know a million people was was pretty cool crazy right that's awesome yeah. to experience that no question and winning on the road you know I, I remember when we won it in 86 on the road the same stuff we had that time in the room the plane ride home was awesome all that um you know things that i remember you just kind of brought them yeah. back for me yeah um, it was funny like talking to the cup guy i was like because he was like there's probably you know he's like Cause I'm like, what would top this? And he essentially was like, hey, like the only other places that would top this, he thought were like Montreal and, and Toronto. Yeah. So it, insanity. Yeah. It, it was nuts here, but um, those original six cities, all of them, I think it, it's a pretty big deal. There's no question, but so listen, I remember that. Yeah. Right. Big buff uh, was, uh, um, uh, you know, he ended up having a lead because of, salary cap stuff right and uh, were you in the same situation because your contract was up right after the stanley cup and yeah they're either gonna sign you or ship you out now did you have an opportunity to stay there uh did did they give you the low ball offer or or what was the deal with that yeah like essentially they they said like hey we'd love to keep you um, but if, for us to keep, you're going to have to take, um, a discount on the contract. Peanuts. Right yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, at, at that time, you know, looking back, I think part of my decision-making process was like, Hey, like I've had, I have two Stanley cups now. Um, I, you know, I, I want opportunity to start to like step into make bigger roles dope. and uh, make yeah. some money for sure. Yeah. And that's, that's a part of it. And, 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 but even like, yeah, like play more, like I was, you know, when we won that, I was pretty much just a five-on-five player. I checked, it was, hey, it was great. Played, checked the other team's top lines, um, had that responsibility to to really shut them down, which which I took pride in. But I thought there was more to my game and, and more opportunity uh, if I did, um, you know, go elsewhere. So that that was my mindset um, and uh, ended up getting traded to Atlanta. So Buff actually got traded. I think like a group of them got traded a few weeks before me. Um, and then uh, this was this trade was a little different because I knew it was coming. So yeah. then you're on kind of like pins and needles of like, okay, where are you going to end up? Um, and I don't think I, I thought even thought of Atlanta because of that group that had had gone before me, but uh, ended up going there with uh, that's where Rick Dudley. Um, was so obviously it was familiar with Stapes. Stapes was yeah, there. That's where that's where we, yeah. were, you know, that's, united. that's where we were <laughs> united, consummated. Like, yeah, consummated yeah. the relationship. Yeah. You went from yeah. Patrick Kane to me in the locker room. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're probably a little quicker. I don't know. Yeah, um, right, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, and it ended up being like, I think again, you look back at your career in like different moments, and that was for me like was the next step of like okay can I take that next step in my game and add more offense and be a bigger part of, of a group? And um, so it, it was, I enjoyed that, that next step. Obviously it was tough leaving that group in Chicago, but um, you know, they pretty much dismantled half our, half our team and just kept that core group together. So um, 
it was time to, to yeah. try a new challenge. So you have those um, rings on your fingers, and you head to Atlanta, and they moved to Winnipeg, obviously. Um, you, you put the numbers up. You you know, you've got an opportunity to play more, obviously, and you can see it in the numbers. And you had, you know, pretty full seasons. I mean, that one year in 2013, uh, 2012, 2013, 48 games. But, you know, 80-game seasons, that's, you know, not easy to do as you get going in the league with as far as injuries. How, how did you how'd you deal with the injury by one was the first big one. Anyway, I know I didn't have one for a long time for like eight years. And then they came. Yeah. But, so it's funny. I, I had like the start of my career I had. Um, so I tore my knee the first, I think game five of my career. Yeah. Um, so that was, I was essentially had a big one at the start. I missed the rest of that year, came back, it took me a little time to, to get back and adjusted. Um, and then, like you said, I had a, a really clean run for, I don't even eight, eight years where I didn't have yeah. anything. I played every game. Um, you know, you're obviously nicked up, you know, in Chicago, I had a broken thumb that I ended up playing with in the, in the playoffs. I broke my bone in my shoulder, like different things like that, but I was able to play through a lot of those things. I missed a couple yeah. of games in the playoffs, but, um, you're able to, to just keep going. And then, um, and then at the end of the year, my year when I you know I got to New York, and then I had you know I had two major knee surgeries within like four and a half months of each other, and then after that it was you know I had had, a, had another one the last year of my career of of my career. So um, for the most part, I was I was pretty lucky to stay healthy, um, and but kind of kind of came in in uh, in groups or oh, big yeah. uh, big groups for me. So um, yeah, it's all part of it. Yeah, so that going from the states, um, making American money, and then going to a Canadian market for the first time was it was it a shock the paycheck? Well, we still get paid in the U.S., so then you're oh, yeah, the- yeah, but tax wise and everything. Oh, tax wise, big difference. Um, no, I mean I don't know. These taxes are taxes. I yeah, there's definitely a difference. Um, yeah, but the difference I, was like no one went to a game in Atlanta to like you couldn't go to the grocery store in Winnipeg, right? Yeah, it was yeah. I, that, I mean, those that, that was the biggest. I think at that time, like it was, you know, coming from Chicago, that was very hockey centric, and then like the organization was, hey, how can we create the best experience for our players? Um, and then going to Atlanta, where you know, I think I think they they had to buy the basketball team and the hockey team at the same yeah. time. So you had a bunch of basketball guys that wanted a basketball team and they ended up with two franchises and um, wasn't a whole lot of um, emphasis on creating the best experience possible for the players. Not that we were treated bad and, you know, yeah. um, Duds, Duds was great. And um, I don't know why I can't think of the president right now, but. Oh, uh, uh, Waddell, Waddell. Yeah. Donnie. Yeah. Thank you. So Don Waddell, like he, he was great and really enjoyed them. Um, Craig Ramsey was, was, was fun to fun coach to play for. Um, but it wasn't like hockey, like it wasn't an organization that was going above and beyond and spending to make sure that they created the best experience possible. Like we had, I remember going in for pregame meal and you go from Chicago where, you know, they have this amazing spread and, uh, I go like first pregame meal in Atlanta and there's, there's no, chicken left like there's no food left i'm like what's going on 
right? And we had to pay. So it was like, hey, if you want one chicken breast, it's 10 bucks. If you want two chicken breasts, it's 20 bucks. Um, you know, I paid for my two chicken breasts and they're not there. So I was like, well, what is going on? So, you know, the next day we come in and they have toothpicks in the chicken breast with guys' names on them. Oh, Jesus. And so right. it was just, uh, <laughs> just a, a different experience. Um, so you go from that. Um, and it, I mean, Stapes would say, like, we love it. Like, I love my time in Atlanta. It was a great place oh, to live. I, see, for me, no, because um, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, the yeah. Yeah. Like, this, that was like yeah. my first year. You had your name yeah. on a toothpick. Yeah, like, this Kim. is paradise. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, and so, like, to go from that to, like, Winnipeg, like, hey, like, now you have, like, ownership and the group that, like, like they, they want to create that experience for the players. And you're in a town that, um, you know, hasn't had a team and is super excited to have this sport in their town. And then you're, you're pretty much the only show in town in the, in the winter besides, you know, the blue bombers playing in the, in the off season. But um, so I think like there was a lot of excitement for that portion of what we were doing and then the unknown and um, ended up being just like a, an awesome community, like just great people. Um, and you know, it was fun to be, you know, showing up that first exhibition game and sold out crowd and people are going nuts and buffs running all over the place and hitting people. And um, so the, the whole transition happened like crazy fast. Like no uh, one knew that know? this was going to happen. I didn't know. I remember I was in a bar, like watching college football and someone's <laughs> like, Hey, you're going okay, to weird. Winnipeg. I'm like, what are you talking? Yeah. Weird shocker. Yeah. <laughs> shocker. Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. And that, I didn't know either. It was just like you, someone told me like someone. Yeah. Yeah. Random per- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Canadian so- markets, right? They're so different, right? Than the U.S. markets. I mean, original six a little different, but you know, I, I remember, you know, going to Winnipeg, and we, everybody said, "Going, oh, Winnipeg, Winnipeg." It had such a bad rap around the league, and then I talked to guys who played there, and they absolutely love Winnipeg. Well, and and hearing it from you, it just you know kind of reinforces that. And yeah, that it's a great town, a great community. Yeah, and I don't think, like, you're not going to find anybody that's like, hey, like, you know, it's fun when it's minus 30 outside for a month straight. and yeah. <laughs> It's not it's not enjoyable. And the people that are even there, like, they know it's not enjoyable. But, like, to me, like, long, the more you, you end up in different places, like, the community of people that live there and how they treat you as a, you know, as a player and how they treat your family, um, you know, Winnipeg, there was no better place than, than Winnipeg in terms of that. And I had two, like, two of my kids were born there and, uh so we you just end up like going to house like everything is like hey if you're getting getting together as a team you're going as a group to someone's house or um that different aspect but it, it was kind of like a, a great time we had a uh most of our team lived in the same area it was a bunch of houses that had just been built and we all rented houses in the same area and we 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 hung out the wives hung out when we were on the road so it was a lot of a lot of really good memories from from my time there what about being a captain in Atlanta and then being a captain in Winnipeg? That had to be like, right? It was, yeah, like, it was funny because like even like you know most you name a captain, you have a press conference and like maybe announce it. And I think Atlanta, I just showed up and I had it on my jersey one day yeah. <laughs> um, to go to you know go to Winnipeg and you're answering questions day in day out um, about the group and um, so definitely more of a responsibility. Uh, especially speaking for the group. And I think I learned a lot from Paul Maurice actually in that regard in terms of being in a Canadian market and and tuning out 
the noise that, that happens with the media Lots and of noise, the right? fan base. And um, that's always one thing that I, you know, respected with Paul's was his ability to, he would take the heat. He would take the, the, the tension away from the players and, and find a way to just keep that group um, focused on, on what was important in, in that room. So uh, that's definitely a challenge, but again, it's like, Hey, like as you're, you're growing, going through that journey, there's different things that come up and you learn how to handle different situations. And um, you know, being, being a captain in Canadian city definitely gives you the opportunity to, to do that. Yeah, no question. A lot more heat answering the questions every day. I, you see it here in Montreal. The captain always, they always go to the captain. There's like 30 people around them every day after practice, after games. It's So it is a lot of responsibility. So you, you finish your time in Winnipeg, you go back to Chicago. And I, I want to, because I want to get into today to what you're doing and yeah. with 1616. Uh, I think that's awesome what you're doing. Um, but so you go back to Chicago. I remember when I came back to Montreal, I was so happy, but I was coming back to retire. I was, it was in the end for me in 92. And it was so awesome. I got to um, retire with the Jersey. I, I never wanted to take off. I never wanted to play for another team, but I, unfortunately for me, I had to. And it was nice. It was a curtain call for me. But it was different when I came back. It just felt different. Did did it feel different for you when you come back? Yeah, for sure. And, and like some things did, some things didn't, right? Like there's, you know, the training staff was the same. Like the the a lot of the same core group of players and and Kane and Taves and Keith and Seabrook and um, Hosa was there. Sharp was there. So like a lot of those same. Um, people were there, but yeah, like it, it was different. I think like I was different. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the room was definitely different. You know, you, you, now you have a bunch of hall of famers in the room and a bunch of young kids that are, you know, looking up to them, scared to say anything or scared, you know, yeah. they're walking, maybe, you know, not they're walking on eggshells a little bit. Cause it's, you, you're, you know, when you're playing with those guys, they have a presence about them and they've had their routines for 10 years and they're doing their own thing. And so, yeah, it, it was definitely different, but, um, it was fun to go back and, and play for Q again and, and um, get the, the chance to play in the Madhouse. And it was, it was kind of a crazy, crazy year. My wife was eight months pregnant when I got traded and she moved with, you know, a two-year-old and a one-year-old to Chicago for, for three months to have a, have a baby in Chicago and first game of the playoffs, you know, my, my phone rings at three in the morning and, she's she's in labor so like i flew back <laughs> that first game i flew <coughs> i flew back to chicago and then uh caught her caught a ride um she wasn't they didn't think she was going to give birth um you know that evening so she was like hey go play the game so i went i topped on a, a plane with rocky Wirtz, flew back uh, essentially just for warm-up got got my stuff on played of course the game goes into overtime we lose in overtime <laughs> you know jump back um about to head back to, to uh you know to chicago to 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 be with her for the birth um and you know the baby was coming so i watched on facetime and and then hopped on a plane and got back so it was uh it was did it was you make chaotic. it in time did no, you make it in time no. no so i i watched it on uh i watched it on facetime actually so um I saw it. My mom, my mom, yeah. my mom was there. Luckily she came in and was able to, to be with, uh, with my wife. So I got back there and then, 
um, was able to, to be there, you know, now it's a pretty close flight, flight from St. Louis to Chicago, but um, you know, all the things that people don't realize you, you maybe go through as, as a player trying to navigate the, the ability to play and, and be there for your teammates, but also, you know, on the family side too. That's I was awesome. in a Moscow airport when Boomer, my son, was born. I was trying, I was trying to get home. It was like Did the you worst. get back? Yeah, like a day later. And he was looking at yeah. me like, who the fuck's, who's fuck's this new guy? Yeah, like yeah. That, you know? It's funny. Oh. Yeah, so, but it was it was fun. Like, again, like to be in that series, um, to be, to play in that stadium again, uh, to, to hear that crowd, to be on, to wear that jersey. It was yeah. It was nice to, to be able to have that chance again to, to do that. So you moved to the island. Now, how does that happen? Did, were you a free agent in time? Or yeah, the, well, the it, was, it was a free a free agency signing. So yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, it was like an opportunity to, and it was, it was, there was, things were shifting in the landscape, right? You could start to tell, like they were giving a lot of money to younger players. The older players were starting to get, um, phased out a little bit or, you know, in terms of like long-term contracts. So I knew it was probably my one opportunity to, to hit a home run from that standpoint. And they, it was what they, when they opened, they opened the window to like have conversations with teams. Um, it started an interesting trend where they kind of gauge where, where guys were at and it gave teams more time to make decisions, which I think is players, um, free agency, they might have had some more success when it was just like, hey, ring of the bell, who's who's going where? And, and teams had to make more uh, maybe panic decisions or they're, you know, you, you have to make quicker decisions where you don't have as much time to, to sit and think about all the, the <clears throat> ramifications. So, um, so, yeah, so like essentially I knew there was a few teams that I had the opportunity to go to and, and Long Island went and saw Doug Waite was there. I played with Dougie in, in Carolina. Uh, I liked their team. Uh, from a standpoint of like watching them play. And I thought I wanted to go to a place that we had the opportunity to, to keep winning hockey games. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it seemed like a good fit at the time and, and chose to, to go to Long Island and um, set up shop there. Well, the, you signed a seven year deal. Now, how old were you? Were you 30 or 31? I was 30. Yeah. 30. You were 30 years old when you signed that deal. So, mm -hmm. uh, you go there, and in the third season, um, I remember because it was all over the paper how you get sent down. It was all over TSN up here. Andrew Ladd gets sent down. I'm like, what the hell happened there? And do you feel, was it, uh, were you, was it because of your play, or do you feel at that point it could have been a you could have been a victim of your contract and your play? What what was it that got you sent down? Oh, it was probably probably both. I mean, um, like I said, I, I had we had a new GM, new coach come in. Um, I, I I had two major knee surgeries within four and a half months. Uh, so coming back from that. Um, I'm sure I didn't look look the same as I did prior to that. So um, a little bit of both, I'm sure. Like, hey, like you know, th that contract is a big contract, and um, I'm sure they they w would have given me more time had I been, you know, you know. I guess if a GM signs you, then it's a little bit on them, and and you have a longer leash. 
when it, you have a new coach and a new GM that they didn't sign you, um, yeah. I think that that leash gets a lot shorter. So, um, yeah, I, I it was probably probably a little bit of both. I'm sure my play probably wasn't where it needed to be, but also, um, you know, my contract didn't didn't look great. So uh, it kind of went started off as like, hey, your knee doesn't look good. Like, go down and play in the minors, see if you can get your game back and start playing the way we need you to. Um, and then that, you know, that week turns or the 10 days turns into yeah. a month and the month turns into two months and, uh, and all of a sudden you're, you're down there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I That's think it's tough, end- huh? A lot of people don't get how tough that is on a guy. A lot of people only see the fucking money to begin mm-hmm. with. Okay. They yeah. only see the money pot, but how difficult it can be on a guy mentally and emotionally when you're in that situation. And you know, to power through that and keep a positive attitude, not a fucking easy thing to do. No. And it was, yeah. And there's, there's a lot going on. I, I was always a guy that internalized everything. So, Hey, there's an issue. I'll just like work through it. Right. I can, yeah. I can, I can own this and I can handle it and I'll, I'll work through it. Um, and that wasn't working for me anymore. Like, you know, you showed up to practice and working your ass off every day. And I was, I was more just gr- grumpy and in my own head. And um, so yeah, it, it ended up being a fantastic thing for me from a standpoint of, you know, there were, there was entitlement in me that, hey, like I shouldn't be here. There was, um, you know, I, I was frustrated with the fact that I, like I was in the minors and I, you know, I shouldn't be in the minors. I've been in the NHL for this many years. And so I had to really look at myself and like, okay, is that true? Like, you know, if I start yeah. playing really well down here and I, you know, what is the opportunity in this moment? was, was a big question I had to wrestle with. And how do I want to show up to this? I had the opportunity to, you know, I had a bunch of kids in that room prospects that were looking at a guy who was one, two Stanley cups and could have a big impact on, on them and their development. And, and so I started looking at it that way and say, Hey, okay, how can I have a great impact on the people down here and the people in this organization and the players that are here and um, start to, show them what leadership looks like and and how you can handle these situations. And one, you know, I, I, you know, and then we'll get into this, but like, this was really a big moment for me in terms of 1616 and what I'm doing now. But I, I, my wife told me one day, she's like, Hey, you need to talk to someone because you're like, you're not here. You're somewhere else or you're, you're grumpy or not that I was, you know, a bad dad or a bad husband, but like, I wasn't me. Um, so uh, she said, "Hey, like, go go talk to someone." So I worked. I, I, I was actually driving from from Long Island to Bridgeport, Connecticut, with Thomas Hickey. We were doing the same thing. We were both playing down there, uh, and he had worked with a performance coach. So he, uh, we were, we got talking one day on the car ride, and he was like, "Hey, you can you should try talking to this guy." So I reached out, um, and it was like instant relief of like someone else showing me a different way to like show up to a situation. I was so stuck yeah. in like I'm pissed off, and I'm going to work through this. Um, and it came to the realization of like, oh yeah, like may, that there's other ways to go about this that maybe, uh, will have a better impact on myself, my family and my kids, um, my marriage and all those different things. Uh, so going through that moment and, and started to shift, okay. There was a lot of skills even mentally that I didn't have. So started to like work on those and use this opportunity to, to build those muscles between my ears. Um, 
which has had a massive impact on on even what I'm doing today, which is which is cool to look back on. That which is, is crazy because cool. it's like after 950 games, you're like you do. There's a lot of things you know. What I mean, like yeah, you need yeah. To, you need to work on your mental state. It's like wait, what? <laughs> well, and it's like we're all human. We all we all have these. Um, but especially like as a professional athlete, like we learn to compensate really well, right? So what we're we're good at, we're really good at. But but what you're really good at also creates your blind spots because you don't have to, you don't have to work on the other, the other stuff. Right. Um, it's kind of like the hockey player that skates really well. Like you don't have to, you know, you watch a young kid who skates really well at a young age. Like he doesn't have to learn how to, how do you make plays or, you know, play within a small area because he just skates around everybody. So you, you lose track of like, you know, building those other skills in your game because of that. So, um, that was me. Like, Hey, I was really good at like working hard and working through things and just, you know, keep going. Um, but because it. of that, yeah, because of that, I, I lost track of some other things that, um, I need to work on as well. Yeah. You know, when you say that, and I, I can only, um, take it back to early in my career. I remember I had three fights in a game and the next day in practice, Bob Berry was coaching. He was fucking skating me boards and boards and, and we're skating around. And I came in the next day to practice and I had a fucking attitude. I wanted him to know, like, you fucking asshole. You know, I fought fucking three times. My neck's killing me. My hands are killing me. And you're fucking skating my balls off. So I wanted him to know that. And Bob Ganey came over to me and, he, and he, he said, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know, just fucking skating yesterday. I fucking I feel like shit, you know, physically. And it's like I get fucking beat into the ice. And he said, listen. Don't fucking come out on this sheet of ice and have an attitude like that because you're always interacting with people. And then when you're like this, it fucks other people up. They're wondering what's going on with you and how come you're being the way you are. And it really it caught my attention early. Yeah. And, and that emotional part, too, we talk about the mental part, but I think the emotional part in, in athletes um, – you know, it's not something we, we're used to dealing with in an open fashion with other people. You can't tell your teammate, oh, you know, I'm having a fucking tough day today. You know, my hands hurt. Or, you know, you can't. You, you just can't do that. And Yeah. Well, it, good on you, Brandy, just, though, your your wife. Yeah, you know? Because you don't know. Your, you, you probably don't have any clue how you're like, right? You just think. And she's like, you're not you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you don't, yeah. and you don't know that. Right. Like you don't know that you just think you're normal. Yeah, for sure. And I think like, you know, even paying attention to teammates, right. Like, you know, when you're, when someone's off, so say yeah. like, you know, you Chris, like every, like you said, everyone around you knows you're pissed off yeah. and you're like, something's off. Um, so yeah, it, it was, yeah, it like a super impactful time for me. And, and it was like, it was such a weird stage of my life like so I, I that first year I was in the minors I, I so I shift this and like our, my goal is hey like I want to get back to the NHL and play the next 50 games so I can get to a thousand right that, that's what was really driving me so we I played that whole year um started okay like hey how can I build my game in the minors with more opportunity like you're playing lots you're getting to play every aspect of the game uh so I get called up like late in the year um play play well against I think it was 
I play well my first game, get another chance to go on the next game. I play in Vancouver on the second line, uh, play well. I score that game. They put me in the shootout. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm starting to build some momentum here. And, and we, we fly to Calgary and, and the whole world shuts down for COVID. So back, so then we shut down and we come back for playoffs um, in the bubble. And it's, let's see, we go out for our mini training camp and I'm with like all the HL guys. I'm like, okay, well, I know, I know where this is going. Right. No. So, um, so then I spend, um, you know, you, you spend three months in a bubble again, like working through this mental stuff of, Hey, how do I show up and be a good teammate and keep working? You know, when I'm not playing, um, you know, you're away from your family. So like, again, like a lot of like, in terms of like mentally training and like dealing with a situation, try to make it the best <clears throat> of that situation. Um, it was, it was a, a, a tough space to do that, but it, it was, it was powerful for me. And you know, so I, again, I worked that whole bubble, worked through that whole thing. And, you know, game two of the Eastern Conference finals, like, you know, they're like, hey, you're going to play tonight. So I play, I haven't played in, you know, four and a half, five months. And I get tossed in against, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference finals. And um, so and then I ended up, you know, yeah. on the ice in the last minute of the game. And, you know, I think someone, like McDonough cross ice seems me and Ryan Pulak to Nikita Kucherov backdoor for a one-timer. Um, they, they win the game, and then I, I never played again after that. <clears throat> so, so lots, yeah. lots going no, on, right? No, that's that's got to be the most obviously the most challenging time for you uh, in a lot of ways. And now you're shy of that one thousand game mark, which is a fucking unbelievable accomplishment for anybody but here you are so fucking close now it looks like you're not going to get it in the island how does it come about because it's not here you are near the end of your career and there has to be somebody to buy into this did you have somebody you knew that give you an opportunity was who was the gm in arizona at the time, uh, Bill Armstrong. So still, still here. So the one thing I knew I had going for me was my contract. Yeah, like you have a. They had a team that wanted to win in in Long Island, and they had yeah. a contract. And I, I'm I'm a stubborn dude. So yeah, I was like, hey, like you know, if you want you want to get rid of me, like you're gonna have to trade me. Um, and Lou was great. I think in terms of dealing with me and communicating with me, but like the next, so like even after the bubble, so the next year is, is like the full COVID year. So they have taxi squads and they have, um, AHL teams, but they don't, I don't think they played a whole lot. So, um, so they had their young kids in the minors that they wanted to play. And because of my contract, they couldn't call me up on an emergency basis because I made too much on the taxi squad. So I wasn't even on the taxi squad. So I skated by myself that whole year. I would, oh. I would, I would text, oh, I would text, I would text Lou and say, "Hey, can I skate tomorrow?" And he'd be like, "Yeah, you can skate at this time." And I would go in. I would either skate by myself or I'd skate um, with uh, Dennis Seidenberg, who was helping the team out at the time. Um, so he would come out and like pass me pucks at least and do different stuff. So, um, so that it was actually that that's actually where sixteen sixteen started. Was like. Now, for everybody who doesn't know, I've created um, 
a uh, it's a it's a proactive approach to mental well-being. So um, we created a digital program for 10 to 12 year old hockey players that focuses more on the mental side of the game and life um, and working on those skills at a young, a really young age to, to set a really strong foundation and um, in, in these young hockey players. So as I was skating by myself, the, the performance coach that I was working with was like, Hey, like, do you like, do you want to just ride this year out and just skate by yourself? Or do you want to like make this year count? And like, what would be meaningful to like, at the end of this year, be like, hey, cool, I created this. Like in this moment of like adversity, like I was able to create this. Um, so I was like, yeah, like we've always thought about, hey, like obviously my experience in the last year and a half, I've learned like, hey, <clears throat> I had a lot of work to do in terms of strengthening, you know, the, the most important muscle in my body, which was, <laughs> which was my brain. Um, can we start to teach kids a lot of these skills that, that I, I'm learning at 30, you know, five years old, like, Hey, can we start teaching 10 to 12 year olds a lot of these things so that, Hey, like when adversity hits and things happen in their life, at least they have, understand what's going on and they have some tools to deal and navigate, um, some of the challenges that, that are inevitably going to, going to hit them. So that was, that was the start of like thinking about the idea of like, Hey, how do we proactively get to kids? Um, and we decided, Hey, like sports is the perfect vehicle to get to kids that teaches you, but a bunch of different things in life. Hockey is what I know. There's the relationships I have. Um, and we created a, a, a digital program over the course of the next three years, um, essentially because of, of that moment. So <clears throat> 1616 is a nonprofit. Um, and, and, when you talk about mental health and it, going through the time you went through, you, you, you end up, how'd you get to the coyote? So. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that. I'm yeah. Curious. So essentially I, I waited, I waited it out. So I was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to keep coming back and keep working on me. And, and you can't, you can't get rid of me essentially, unless, <laughs> unless you trade me. So yeah. they inevitably ended up trading a second round pick to the coyotes who were rebuilding. They wanted that they knew they were going to start focusing on the draft and they wanted just a veteran leader in that dressing room. And I, I don't even know if Phil knew what he was getting when he made that trade. I think he was like, Hey, cool. Yeah. I'm getting a second round pick. And then, yeah. you know, Lou was like, we're getting out from under this contract. Um, and was able to, to go in there and, and show them that I could still play and ended up playing my thousandth game um, the following year, which was which was a cool yeah. moment after everything I'd been through. That's awesome. You know, again, I'm so glad you got the opportunity to do it and, and, and you know, Lou, you know, kind of making that happen for you. That's awesome to get to that a thousand games. I all, That's one thing I – I played 688, right? And yeah. I had a bunch of injuries near the end that kept me out of a lot. I think I might have got to 900 if, but uh, after 13 years. Um, and then I would have retired. I, I would have retired. You would have, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing I would have done is started a foundation. So good on you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Good for we you, We just man. looked That's at so what? Chelios played what? How many, Tim? 1400 or something we were just saying like, like Chelios is, you're 38 that Chelly played 10 more imagine playing 10 another more years. 10 years <laughs> yeah no i know 1650 he played 1650 Chelios. like that's insane Unreal. but uh, so 
Andrew, 1616, and, and we talk mental health. And listen, nowadays, you talk about, I look back at my day, mental health, are you kidding me? Shut up, fucking play, keep your mouth shut, do your thing. That's it. Um, things are different today. I get it. But do you think, I mean, they have nutritionists, they have, you know, fitness coach, this coach, that coach, there's fucking 10 people behind the bench today. Uh, do you think NHL do, teams, do any of them pay attention to the mental health piece? Or do you think they could do more? Oh, I think it's, I think it is coming. Um, it, it's, I equate it to like the physical side, which is, I think we're seeing more and more now is, you know, you'll see guys like go, they go out and they, they find their own skills coaches or they find their own trainers because they're like, Hey, like I want the best people in the world. Like, Hey, if I'm going to be the best in the world at what I do, I need to go find the best person in the world within this space or this space. So that is happening in the mental performance space at the NHL level. Like guys, guys are hiring people to focus solely on the mental part of their game. Um, so it, it is becoming a lot more mainstream and it's, it's like, I think the whole game has evolved that, you know, individually you need different, like I need something different in my game than Tim or Chris. Like we yeah. all have different, like I said, we have different things that we're great at and different things that we're like, we, we need to improve upon. Um, everyone's body is different. Everybody's brain is different. Like we all have different habits that we, to cope with things. We all have different habits to, um, or even different skills within, like some of us are more resilient. Some of us are, are, have more confidence, like all those different things play into, um, you know, continuing to build on, um, you know, your, your mental health or your physical health. So uh, it's definitely coming. Um, I still think we have a ways to go in terms of, you know, NHL teams, like they have to have a blanket essentially like, Hey, who, who can find that can service everybody. So you'll see a lot of strength coaches that, Hey, here's the same program for everybody. Or, you know, like here, we're going to have yeah. um, the same mental performance coach for everybody. So um, I think the next evolution is like taking steps to like individually, okay, what does everybody need? Um, and getting better at, at that conversation. Um, and, and really like our foundation is, is essentially like, Hey, how can we, how can we start that conversation? So our, our, we essentially, we teach the kids through stories. So like we have Tim Stapleton story about different things that he'd gone through through his career. And, and, you know, in our, our the curriculum is based in confidence, connection and character. Like the, if you can influence those um, within the, the sport that a kid's playing, you give them the best opportunity to thrive and have the best environment possible. So um, really teaching kids about those concepts through the stories of players that have made it to the highest level yeah. so that a, they can understand that, Hey, they, they go through the same, the same stuff that you're going through as a kid, like, Hey, like, you know, simple things like dealing with mistakes, like, we can all look at each other now and be like, Oh, like mistakes are how you learn. Like if you don't go through those struggles, you don't figure out how to do it a different way and, and improve. Um, and at a, you know, with kids, especially, I think we, we nowadays you see like, Hey, we, we don't want our kids to go through, we try to make everything perfect for them. And it's like, Hey, no, like how, how do we actually intentionally give them a little adversity and then teach them why this is important. Um, you teach them how to deal with some of those adverse situations, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Instead of, instead of avoiding. Right. So our, and then yeah. our, our, our whole program is it's called 1616. Cause that's the, the year that they coined the uh, French explorer, I think French Canadian explorer coined the word, the term Buffalo. And the unique thing about Buffalo is that when, when a storm hits, they're the only animal that bands together and goes right through the storm. Every other animal okay. runs away from the storm and they end up staying in the storm longer. So the mindset we were trying to teach kids is like, Hey, like when you face uncomfortable things, like push into those with the, with your team, with the people you have around you so that you can come out stronger on the other side. So it, that, that's, that's the, the emphasis of our, our whole program. And, and so far we've, you know, this year we have 213 teams across wow. North America that are, are doing it. So it's been, it's been fun to, to see the growth and see how people are engaging with it. Now the, those teams, who, who goes out and, and, and lists those teams one, two, and then do you send a whole team out to them? And is it, is it a one day program? Is it, do they follow the players all year or what is it? So we have, we've created a, di- it's completely digital. So it's all online. All right. So as of right now, it just lives in a, a like web form. So every week, like every Sunday, you get a video that's like, Hey, here's the concept of the week. And uh, the video takes the kids through um, well, it's called the brain science of change. So they, they tell them a story, make sure they under understand the story, reflect on how that story shows up in, in their life. And then we'll get, we'll get a professional player to challenge them to go try out that concept in their life. Um, so that's, that's the cadence of, of the program. It's free. So essentially anybody who is 10 to 12 on a 10 year old to 12 year old hockey team can sign up for free. Um, so now we're at the point where we're just like, we can start to like, Hey, like let everybody know it's available. If this is, this is our second full year. Um, and then the important part too, is like, there's a coach stream and then there's a parent stream. So what we've seen so far is like, Hey, like parents parent, how they were parented and coaches coach, how they, they were coached. So um, right. In terms of like, we're trying to create a resource so that parents and coaches understand, like they have an understanding of how to, how to breach these, these concepts or communicate with these concepts um, and, and have an impact to support the players and their, their, their children in these moments. So uh, there's three streams and um, really just, Hey, do you understand the concept? And then for parents and coaches, how do you support this and, and reinforce it? And then for the kids, like just making sure that they understand it and, and they can connect to that story from a, you know, an athlete that made it to the, to the highest level. Who, who determined like that age 10 to 12 or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. So research so essentially like 10 to 12, like the kids are mature enough to understand the concepts that they're not too far along where they've already been influenced by friends and culture. And, you know, they ends up, you know, you're 13, you're 14, you're too cool for a lot of the stuff that we're teaching. Um, so it's kind of like, they're just in the perfect area where they're still, still, we can influence them and in, in the direction that, uh, we, you know, think is appropriate. That's awesome. Good stuff. You know, cause when you think of it, kids, when we, we grow up, I know looking growing up, going off to school, you don't learn. I mean, you're up, you know, it's up to you to socialize with other people. No one teaches you how to do that. You, you kind of, even at home, all that um, social and emotional learning, sometimes you, you get bits and pieces at home, 
but you kind of left to your own devices when you get out there. So it's nice to certainly in a team atmosphere, be able to kids to be able to tap into this, you know, because yeah, and, and, and it's like, awesome. there's, there's no better place than, than sports, right. And even hockey, like there's so many great opportunities for kids to learn those lessons. Um, and the idea is really like, Hey, can we be intentional with that? Like if we're parent, if we're paying attention to this as, as coaches, as parents, like there's so many moments during games, during practices where you can have that, you know, 10, 15 second conversation with a kid that can change, you know, the trajectory of, of their development as, as a kid. Yeah. That's I just awesome. watched a Ted talk on the, on something where like kids are quitting sports too early, you know? And yeah. Know, part of like, it, it, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So part of it is just like, Hey, like the kids aren't having fun. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you work hard at something because you love it because you, you want to, you know what I mean? So like we take the fun out of it and we're, we're giving concepts to kids or pushing them in a way that like, they don't understand why. Hey, I don't understand why the coach is yelling at me instead of just like going over (laughs) and having, having a conversation. And like, you know, it goes back to like, Hey, we coach how we were coached. So like, you know, yell at a kid and like, they're just going to skate faster. Right. But like, Hey, like, does that kid actually know the reason why you're yelling at them? Like, are you better off just going over and being like, Hey, this is what I'm looking for and actually teach them like our job as parents and as coaches is to teach kids yeah and and now it's like you know there's so much emphasis on like winning hockey games results results at a young age and i think it's we all know like on this call like you know character development like hey everyone who ends up making it to the nhl like especially the bubble guys they usually have the characteristics of having strong character and they're resilient and they've been able to build that muscle to, to keep overcoming and, and moving forward. Um, so it's something that is lost in, you know, just the development of kids is like, Hey, can, can they enjoy the environment that they're in and just have fun playing the sport first and foremost, and then use those moments within to, to teach them. So when I go to my eight year old's game and I'm just yelling skate the whole game, <laughs> should I stop yeah. doing that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Stop doing that. No one can hear you. <laughs> uh andrew awesome stuff um so back in in bc now do you fish at all uh i do so a little bit yeah i've I've picked it up more um since i retired actually so i actually did a i got a buddy that's a sturgeon he's sturgeon fishes yeah um so we played together actually our first year my first year pro i was in lowell mass with with uh the lock monsters when they were still there uh, and he was my roommate. So his name's Kevin Estrada. He does a lot of sturgeon fishing. So I usually go uh, out with him a, a fair amount. Um, and he's kind of got me hooked on on that. Yeah, I got hooked on the salmon out there when I first, probably my first year went out there. Uh, when we played softball, actually, it was okay, like yeah. 80, 81. And we ended up going out to um, Campbell River. And then yeah. I've been going out there every couple years since and i absolutely love the salmon fishing out there it's beautiful yeah i love bc you live in a great yeah. place you should try try awesome. the certain fishing one time certain if it's yeah. like yeah it's well, that's uh, your ch- you do a charity thing for that right so yeah we were doing it and then now it's it's been more like we're focused on there's there's lots going on with the charity and um so it was it was pretty time consuming just creating that event but we have done yeah. it in the past i think the plan is to to re uh, reboot it here at some point 
The plan is to get help us get Big Buff on. I seen him at your sturgeon thing. Where is the guy yeah. hiding out at? That's like the the one thing he'll come out for is fishing. You know. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm if if I if I can say hey we're gonna go fishing he'll he'll make time for that. Yeah, Tim is Tim has and listen, I'm so glad you come on with us, no question. But Tim has been promising Big Buff for the yeah, longest. Yeah, I mean it's like I can only promise until I get fired. <laughs> Are you guys doing a road trip or what? You just have to show well, we up might have trip. to. That's what we're saying. Like I don't, you yeah. know, right? Like we might just have to show up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll do a um, a fishing episode with him. You know, that's yeah. I think that might be the only way it's going to happen. When I when I think about like mental health and mental toughness, I, I even mental health. I, I when I think about it, I'm like, okay, like there's so many varying degrees of that, right? I think when we think about physical health, we're like we we tend to think about it as in like, okay, there's minor things with your physical health, and then there's obviously there's varying degrees of of um, more serious physical ailments. But with mental mental health, sometimes people think like, okay, you're either just like mentally healthy or you're not. But I think we're starting to see like, okay, there's a range there. So when we deal with like kids at a young age, it's like, hey, like let's build a really strong physical foundation. And then you start building on top of that, right? But mentally, we just like, it's like, hey, like, okay, you're, you're on your, like to Chris's point, you're on your own, like figure it out. So with this, it's like, okay, like how do we give them a really strong mental foundation that then you can start throwing a little more at them, right? You can start putting weight on that bar. Um, and obviously there's different education within that, but like, I think it, in what I've seen is like, same with me is like, we have these really great, like we, we create these avoidance, um, habits where we have these habits around avoiding things that are maybe tougher for us. Uh, and those show up differently for, for people and, and we avoid them until they actually become a serious problem. Right. They, they kind of like snowball into a more serious uh, mental health issue. Uh, whereas like, OK, cool, like if we can start pulling those things apart when they're not as serious and we like actually realize like, OK, cool, I'm avoiding this. And why am I avoiding it? And maybe it's tougher and then start pushing into those things a little more. Um, we give give people a better opportunity to, to overcome some of those things, because, you know, when you think about it from like the physical standpoint, like if you don't squat properly, and you keep putting weight on the bar, what happens? Like something's going to give out. Yeah. So well, I'm speaking, I'm speaking only for my, myself, but like, that's how like addiction and stuff can be created. To be honest, the older you get, if you're just like, not, you know, if you're avoiding everything, you're going to find ways to keep escaping. Right. That's just my own personal experience. Yeah. I think, I think mental, like to your point, like some, like I think of mental toughness is like resilience, like that muscle. Hmm. And it's funny, even like with our program, like I said, like the concepts are confidence, connection, and character. But like I'm coaching a team right now. Some kids are, are, are great connectors. Like they, they can walk in a room and they can, they got all their buddies and they're, they create relationships really well. Right. But maybe they're like, they're not as resilient. Right. And then you get kids that are like, Hey, they're super resilient, but they're kind of quiet. They don't make friends very well. Um, and, and then there's certain kids that just like jump on the ice and they have like, they have confidence coming out of them the whole day, right? And you have other kids that they just, they don't have that muscle where like they're confident enough to like feel like understand who they are and like what they're, what they're doing. So like all three of those different things, like watching kids, some kids are good at some things. Some kids are, are not good at other things. And I think we have like, 
we tend to be like, oh, that kid's just not confident or no, that kid's just not resilient. Instead of being like, okay, how do I help them build that muscle and get better at that skill? Which is, a, it was just a different way of approaching it. Um, and a lot of times with like hockey, especially you get kid, the coaches, they don't want to deal with it. It's, it's right. harder to teach things. So they're like, I'll just take the kids that are really resilient and like listen really well and, and just work with them. And all the other kids get kind of lost in the, in that shuffle. So true. Yeah. But, and, and there's like, there's skills involved in that. So like, it's like a lot of teams right now, they, they'll have, they have like therapists. Like I know it's like Chicago has a whole group, yeah. but most guys aren't going to go when they relate to it is like, Oh, I'm only going there. If, like if I have a problem, that's why there's resistance. Cause they're like, no, like I'm good. Right. I'm good. Yeah. Instead of thinking of it as like, Oh, like, Hey, like, I'm just going to treat this like I treat my body in the off season of like, Hey, like you're constantly going to the gym every day to work on these things because it makes you a better hockey player. But I don't think a lot of, I don't think a lot of guys know, like they think confidence is just a feeling that like you either have or you don't, they don't think it's something that you can keep working on. So I think there's a lot of just like lack of knowledge in the space on, in how to do that in, in, in an effective way. And a lot, a lot of kids don't get it at home, right? There's some dysfunction and kids don't learn the social emotional skills. That's the last thing you fucking learn. You you left yeah. to your own devices. Go out yeah. there and fucking navigate your way. Yeah. Emotional learning. That's why you get a lot of people that, and I'll, I can speak for myself. The emotional part of it. Um, that's why I get a lot of people self medicate. You know, they self medicate because they don't know how to fucking deal with those emotions. They don't know how to deal. Um, you know, I was always pretty good socially with people, but you know, that emotional piece, um, yeah, I didn't have it. I didn't have that emotional growth as a young kid, you know, I just didn't. And what a better way as a kid, as a kid, 10 year old to hear it from an NHL player, right? Uh Like there's no better way to do it. That's awesome that Uh you're doing it that way. There's an expectation that your kids just like, oh, they learn how to do this shit. It's like, no, yeah. like your job as a parent or a coach is to teach them how to do that, not to expect them to do it. And that's where like, as coaches, like the loss is like, oh, we just want this kid to be able to do this. And it's like, okay, well, like, if, if, if he doesn't know how to do that, then like get curious about why and how you can actually make that connection for that kid so that they do understand. But we just and you can show that. them. You can show yeah. them. I was yeah, always and fucking... like you. You just said that, Chris, too, though. But like at the NHL level, it's like they want fucking. Yeah, now. they do. It's right. like, come on, all right, good stuff, hey, Andrew. Listen, thanks so much for yeah. joining us I, again. I nothing but respect for what you did. A thousand games, great, but just sticking out the way you did, and I'll never forget that. I'm watching fucking TSN here when you get sent down, and I'm, you know it was such a big thing, and then to power through it like you did. Again, like I said, everybody sees the money piece right oh he's fucking making big money too bad Uh, that's the way it goes he's still getting a paycheck blah 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 but they don't really understand what that person's going through on another whole different level so yeah exactly kudos to you for for you know getting through that and getting the other side now turning it into uh something that's going to benefit um a lot of young kids so that's awesome good stuff and thanks thanks for coming on bud yeah, 
Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.